I'll say, bless the Lord. If you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. Thanks, Jandy. Um, and one of the ways that we've realized if you're going to honestly connect to God um, and in community, you probably have some questions. Um, and so we're in the middle of a series called Interrogative, Questions That Leave a Mark. And we're taking a look at some of the questions that people ask Jesus, including his closest followers. Um, and we want to be the kind of community that doesn't shy away from questions. In fact, we encourage them as one of the primary pathways of understanding who we are in God's eyes and who God is to us. The French uh, atheist philosopher Voltaire once said, God is a comedian playing to an audience too afraid to laugh. Now, I don't know if that's true because I don't speak French, but if it is, I would say that in our series, Jesus is a teacher teaching students oftentimes too afraid to ask. Ask important questions, ask real questions, and ask honest questions. And so tonight, we're gonna see uh, a question uh, in an encounter with Jesus that comes from his inner circle as they observe an awkward moment unfolding before their eyes. And they're asking a question that is sarcastic and subversive and slightly offensive to Jesus. Sometimes those are my favorite questions. So if you have your Bibles, if that's not enough of an intro to get into the text, I don't know what is. Um, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 26. And we're gonna jump into our text together. Before we do that, uh, can we pray together? Just make sure uh, our hearts and minds are where they need to be. Let's get your body in a comfortable position and if you want to, you can take a deep breath in and let it out. Let your soul catch up with your body. Try to be fully present. And if you would, just ask the God of the universe to radically reorient your life tonight based off the worship and the teachings of scripture. And if you would, take a moment and pray for the person sitting on either side of you. that they would encounter the presence of the living God tonight. And if you would take a minute and pray for me, that I might be able to accurately portray the Father's heart for you by what I say and by what I don't say. So Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. 
When the disciples were, saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I'll say the word of the Lord, if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Why this waste? Now, I'm gonna use a sanctified imagination. That's a fancy word for, I'm gonna paint a picture for you um, and read in between the lines because this scene is awesome, all right? I imagine Jesus is reclining, having a great meal. Conversation is going great. It's hitting the height of fellowship. Simon the leper is probably in the middle of the story because he's probably been healed, that he's able to have dinner with everybody. He's telling the story about the time he sneezed and looked down and saw his nose in his hand and the punchline just hits. Everyone's laughing. And then all of a sudden, Mary, the silent assassin, or in this text, it's the woman, enters in. And she really apparently doesn't know the social norms. It's just the men having dinner and you're allowed to sit back and observe the conversation. Maybe she heard about the story of the woman at the well and Jesus really doesn't care about gender stereotypes in society. I don't know what's happening. Maybe she's just utterly compelled by the presence and person of Jesus and she's unstoppable. So she's gonna rock right up in there. She's going straight to Jesus. She breaks this alabaster bar jar over his head and all of a sudden everyone's choking on her essential oils. And they're like, dang girl, get a diffuser. That's a little bit too much. <laughs> Don't even ask me how I know that stuff. <laughs> Cause it's in my beard. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so I imagine at this moment, everyone's just kind of looking around at everyone awkwardly. Her and Jesus seem to be having this moment. And at, at this, I imagine the disciples start texting each other underneath the table, right? Like, WTW, why this waste? And <laughs> Peter checks his phone's like, OMG, which is Jesus, because I already confessed that, okay? And then someone's like, poop emoji, dancing heels, confused face. I, I don't know, you, you, you filling it in. But it's awkward. And again, you, you hear this question, why this waste? This money could have been sold and given to the poor. So a couple of contextual clues in the text. First of all, it's Passover, which means this is a heightened time in Israel's liturgical calendar that they are supposed to give emphasis for almsgiving or giving to the poor. So that's a time where you go above and beyond and you try to make sure that you give to the poor. And in the original language, when Jesus comes back to this, he says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. It has a connotation that says, she has actually given to the poor in what she has done for me. There's also uh, some other interesting things here where he's trying to sound super spiritual. One of the disciples who's saying, hey, we could have sold that money and given it to the poor, but maybe secretly they're just offended or flabbergasted at such a dramatic display of public affection and gratitude towards Jesus. 
And I wonder how many times we hide behind our sarcastic and cynical questions and try to say, well, if it was me, I would have done this and that would have looked more spiritual and religious when we've missed the heart of the interaction that was happening in front of us. But even with all of that textual criticism and context clues, it's still a haunting question, isn't it? Why this waste? It kind of has a valid point, right? And I don't know about you, but when I hear that question, I feel something compress in me and go, that, that voice sounds familiar. And it's a voice that I think we've seen echoed from the adversary, the enemy, Satan, throughout scripture for men and women who follow Jesus. So Adam and Eve, why this waste? The tree of knowledge of good and evil is pleasing to the sight. Why would you waste that fruit? Go ahead and take it. Abraham, why this waste? You're about to follow this God who just appeared out of nowhere and spoke to you. I mean, come on, you live with your family, you're in your hometown, you're financially set, you're about ready to enjoy early retirement, you got everything you need here. Why in the world would you now uproot, leave it, and go risk and waste everything on this promise that may not even happen? And a matter of fact, when I look at that promise, I think you're wasting your life trying to accomplish it. Ruth, why this waste? Your husband has died, you're still young, you could actually still have a life. Why in the world would you follow your mother-in-law, Naomi, to a foreign country and get into poverty and you'll probably never meet anyone and God probably will abandon you when you go there? Why would you waste it? Don't waste your life. Maybe John heard those kind of voices from other people in the religious community. John, why this waste? you your, your dad was in the religious order and you have a great education and great parents. Why are you going out into the desert to do this prophetic thing to prepare the way? Why are you calling the very people that we have lunch with to repentance? Why are you wasting everything that has been given to you? And Satan himself, in a manner of speaking, says this to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why this waste of power? Go ahead and turn those stones into bread. Feed yourself. Hey, Jesus, let's, let's not waste any more time, okay? Seriously, the whole poor preacher bit is old and tired. You're gonna be some obscure rabbi that no one ever hears. Go ahead and throw yourself off the temple. The angels will rescue you. Then everyone will know that you're God's son. Stop wasting all this time hanging out with the last, the least, and the lost. What's this whole leper thing? You just need to move on from that. You're never gonna accomplish God's mission for your life. Then he says, oh, so you're supposed to expand your father's kingdoms. Well, I have a certain domain here on earth. I'll go ahead and give you all the kingdoms and you don't have to go to the cross. Don't waste, don't waste your time with all that suffering and sacrifice. Go ahead and accomplish the mission by illegitimate means. And Jesus' words back to Satan are away from me. You will worship the Lord your God alone and serve him. His Paraphrase answer, I choose to waste my life for the cause my father has commissioned me. Now, there's, there was a book a while back that John Pope, Poper, that's great, Chris, take your time. <laughs> He's the ghostwriter for John Piper. Um, but he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. 
Now, with a little bit tongue in cheek, I wanna write the sequel called Waste Your Life. And here's how I'm gonna do that tonight. Just, just so we're clear, especially if there's any parents in the room tonight, this is not the talk where I make sure you guys make wise, prudent decisions. This is not the talk where I say, hey, let's just make sure we have a five-year plan and we stick to it and we execute it. This is not the talk where I'm gonna say, hey, let's just make sure we're following through on everything that we said we would do three years ago. Great talk, just not tonight. This is the talk where I wanna convince you to waste your life. And the reason I'm using that phrase is there's an author who I love and respect. Her name is Marva Don. She's what the Boston's called wicked smart. She's got four master's degrees. She's got a PhD from Notre Dame in Christian ethics. I think she finally just stopped because they kept handing them to her. But she wrote a book that I read a number of years back that rocked my world. I only understood 30% of it, but the 30% I did, I loved. The title of the book was called A Royal Waste of Time. And she makes the cause that in the eyes of the world, when Christians worship, it appears as if it is a waste of time. She says, yes, indeed it is, but it is royal because of who we direct it towards. And when people pause to consider the actions and the worship and the behaviors of Christ's followers, they should shake their heads because it so disrupts and decenters their values that they go, what a waste of time. Yes, but it is indeed royal. And I see it all throughout this room on a weekly basis. Uh, I've got plenty of friends and people I know in this room who I've seen their stories, who they keep on wasting their life. A year ago, there's a young lady in our ministry who graduated early from college, got a great corporate sales job, was climbing the ladder, making good money, finally getting to a place where she's financially stable. And all of a sudden, this feels like she needs to step away from it so she can offer more time to her church, her ministry, and doing some internal work and healing, especially within her family, because it's been gone unchecked for far too long. Wasting her life in the eyes of the world. I know about another girl who is involved in our ministry. She works in women's health care. And every month she wastes her time and her gas um, and her skills to drive across town to go serve at next door to paint the toenails of women who just got out of prison who are trying their best to figure out how they can reinsert themselves into society. Also, she can have gospel conversations with those women whose biggest question is, how in the world could God forgive me? wasting her precious time. Or this past Friday, all of you who showed up to the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home on a Friday night, prime time for singling and mingling, right? That's your time, you've worked hard for the weekend, you need to get out there and you need to find somebody and you need to you know, just let your hair down. You know all the other euphemisms that I'm not gonna use, but you guys decided to waste your Friday night and go make sure some children knew the tangible love of Jesus. To play gorilla man gun with some kids and realize that you were expanding God's kingdom when you did it. And there's one friend I know who consistently shows up and when I ask him how his day was, he says, tough, I've been all day outside landscaping but I know I wanna be here tonight. Wasting his life. Got an opportunity for you guys to waste your weekend this upcoming weekend. We're doing a Kairos retreat. Come on, bump whatever plans you got. 
figure out, do a scratch and sniff test on our community. We're all gathering away. You've been isolated. Hey, I finally want to connect. I haven't been doing it. Maybe I can fast track some relationship equity. Even though I'm an introvert, this will force me. I'll do it. Extroverts, we love you. Come find us and help us. Waste your weekend. I've got a buddy of mine who, as I listen to his story, uh, he had wife and kids and beautiful family, great job, and was basically living the American dream. What most people in this life go for. And then he said something was profoundly wrong. And he began to wrestle with God. And it led him to systematically begin to sell legitimately all of his possessions to wait for what the Lord had next for him. And what he had next for him was you're gonna go overseas and you're gonna help people who are in poverty learn job skills and training so that you can declare the goodness of God. Wasting his life. Do you know what his reward was for doing that for five years? Came back to the States and then got it all back, right? Wrong, he's doing the same thing here. Doubling down on wasting his life. Got another friend who we were talking about his journey, his spiritual journey, and he just talked about how he got out of school, he started his own business, he's got crushing student loan debt, he's barely making ends meet, and when he looks at his books at the end of the year, he realizes he was embarrassed about how much he had given to his church. Looks at his wife and says, are you okay with the fact that every time we walk through our church's doors, we put $1,000 in the offering plate? Gets done the year. This is one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to numbers uh, and being able to calculate stuff. He said, at the end of the year, I looked at the numbers and there was legitimately no way that we paid our bills and God prospered us in the middle of that kind of giving. You know what his response to that was when it was done? Next year, it's 2,000 wasting his resources, wasting his precious life, finally getting what all of us secretly want. And when he get it, he realizes it's an opportunity to break open all of our precious jars of perfume and anoint the head of Jesus. Because who told you the lie that it was yours in the first place? And you know, Everybody wants to talk about how entitled millennials are. I want you to be entitled to the mercy and grace of Jesus so that you're so compelled you freely give it to everyone you see. You deserve your father's love because of what Jesus has done for you. And that leads you to a place where you have the case of the I can't help it. I can't help but to talk about what I've seen and what I've heard. I can't help but to make it action and applicable. It's not just a study, it's not just a set of doctrine, and it's the values that I wake up every morning that are burning in my heart, and if they don't find expression, I will implode. That doesn't mean I'm perfect or I have it all together. It doesn't mean I'm fearful. It doesn't mean I question those decisions. It doesn't mean I have people whispering behind my back, what a waste. But it means I walk forward in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to live an unstoppable life with an unstoppable God who is able to do unspeakable things that we can't possibly hope, think, dream, or imagine. Is there anybody in here that when I start to talk that way, you're inner rebel starts to go, yeah, dude, right? Is there anybody who just wants to mentally walk into your high school guidance counselor's office and say, with all due respect, shove it, 
for your prepackaged, materialistic, capitalistic, for consumerism plans for my life. God's got something dangerous and delightful beyond any of our wildest expectations. So I'm gonna be faithful to what's right in front of me. But when it comes down to it, I'm wasting my life for the cause of Christ. Uh, just tell me in this room there are still some dangerous disciples. Tell me there are some people who still want to rebel against religious status quo. Please tell me there's some undercover agents of agape who want to spread it all over everyone that they come in contact with, especially the very people you used to despise. Please tell me there's still some of us in here who want to break our beautiful jars of perfume all for the chance to anoint the head of Jesus. All for the confirmation of someone snickering behind our back. Why this waste? And you can say, indeed, but it is a royal waste of time, money, and resources. The woman here, she gets it. When she anoints him, I think it's a mixture of sorrow and gratitude and devotion. She's anointing him for his death. The text is pretty clear. Imagine the pungent smell of that prosperity. It was probably a year's wages, some people uh, speculate. But that pungent smell of prosperity mingles with the poverty of Jesus and the paradox of our faith becomes tactile. Whoever wants to save his life must be willing to lose it. Pick up your cross and follow me and royally waste your life. I wonder, how long does that stay on Jesus' hair and in his beard? by the time he's having the last supper with his disciples. Can Peter still smell it or see it matted on his hair as the savior of the world bends down to wash his dirty feet? Can the guard still feel its oily residue as he rips the beard off the savior of the world and mocks him and punches him? Can Jesus still taste it when sweat and blood and vinegar come down his face and he licks his dry lips as he is affixed to the symbol of a life royally wasted for his father. My question for you tonight is simply this. What precious jar are you holding back that God is calling you to break? Amen.